October 1999. The techno beats from the Mighty Dub Cats are pounding at a rave in Oakland. Napster only has 150,000 users, but its creators know this is just the beginning. It was Napster co-founder Sean Parker's idea to spend some of their new investors' money to help sponsor this rave and put up a booth to spread the word about a file-sharing program to edgy music fans. Sean Fanning is on ecstasy and is euphorically taking in the scene. Before he moved out to the Bay Area, he didn't know anything about the world's hotspot for innovation, but he sure hadn't imagined it would look like this. This is awesome. Parker laughs and looks around at people having fun. The smell of marijuana drifts through the air. Yeah, can you believe this? What are we even doing in California? Perhaps it's not surprising that a pair of teenagers new to the region and flush with other people's cash would think that taking drugs and rocking out on behalf of the company is a wise move. With them is Eileen Richardson, who bought Parker's line about reaching the hip kids first. She's got Merlot streaks in her hair and loves club music. She's an unorthodox CEO for unorthodox circumstances. The 38-year-old former venture capitalist was brought on as adult supervision, the VC term for experienced management. In her case, she is quite literally the adult, the only one who can legally drink. The supervision part is questionable because she's on ecstasy too. That blissful groove is too good to last. This youthful crew is about to take on the entrenched, greedy, and out-of-touch record industry. While they would never admit it to the kids at the rave, their secret plan is to sell out. They want Napster to get big, then strike a deal with the labels that'll make them all fabulously wealthy, and then leave the battlefield. That's the plan, anyway. And as any general will tell you, war never plays out the way you expect, especially when your own forces are at odds with each other and the enemy has a history of taking no prisoners. What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC with a suite of social tech capability that connects the world inside to the world outside. With Amazon Alexa enabled with Sync 3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo. Alexa is activated by the sound of your voice. Alexa, what's the weather like tomorrow? Currently, it's 46 And responds using your car's speakers. With Waze integration that appears right on the nav screen, you'll transform traffic jam streets into clear roads. Got a load of friends? Keep them connected with a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With the 2019 Lincoln MKC, life gets a little easier from the moment you leave home to the moment you return. Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. 
iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc., registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash Wondery. That's lincoln.com slash W-O-N-D-E-R-Y. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In our last episode of Napster vs. the Record Labels, Sean Fanning wrote the first version of the world-changing file-sharing program that took on his hacker nickname, Napster. He turned to his Uncle John to help turn Napster into a business that could attract investors who could pay for the equipment they'd need. Always looking for a score, John said yes, he'd help, and then awarded himself 70% of the new company. You're listening to our third episode, Free is Costly. To show how Sean and Parker got corporate money for the booth at that rave we just heard about, let's rewind events back a few months. In the summer of 1999, Sean's program is spreading like wildfire among friends, especially high school and college students. It's easy to see why. Users can search for whatever they want or browse the music in each other's computers, download the songs they want for free, and then keep it on their hard drives. From there, they can transfer copies to as many MP3 players as they want, all still free. And this triggers a file-sharing frenzy. But there's a problem. As more and more people hop on to Napster, they put increasing pressure on the software. And sometimes... It crashes. It's beginning to look like the business could fail, but the tech isn't the problem. It's brilliant. The problem is money. Handling tens of thousands of people, even for short stretches at a time, requires lots of servers, which are not free. They need investors, people who can deliver cash fast, or all of this goes up in smoke. Both Parker and John Fanning call their contacts, hoping to bring in angel investors. The idea is to get enough scratch to buy just the servers they need to keep Napster humming. Once they have enough users, they'll try to bag some big-time venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, the ones who can write checks for 10 or $20 million. Those people could fend off legal threats and cut deals with the labels. For now, though... The tiny group just needs a few hundred thousand bucks. This file-sharing thing is a great idea. But as it turns out, not an easy sell. It's July 1999 in New York City. In the lead-up, Parker calls a friend named Ben Lilienthal, who made a tidy sum by selling an early email company. Maybe Lilienthal is looking for his next business opportunity. Hey, Ben, I've got this business venture I want to talk to you about. My friend and I have an amazing service for sharing music. I think it's going to be huge. It's going to change the whole industry. I'm listening. Lots of people are already using it. And we're looking for investors to take this to the next level. Okay, this sounds interesting. 
But I've already got questions. Parker makes a convincing case about Napster's potential, but Lilienthal starts doing his research and quickly sees serious legal issues. The record industry sues everyone, and in this instance, the labels are going to have solid footing. Case law says that those who knowingly help other people pirate music are violating copyright laws themselves. Lilienthal calls Parker back. There's no question in my mind that this is going to be huge, okay? It will be. There is a question, though, of whether it's going to be legitimate. That's the part we have to work out. Lilienthal wants to help, so he coaches Parker on how to write out a viable business plan and legal strategy that will go to investors. A big part of the plan in these early days is for Lilienthal to come on as CEO. If that happens, Lilienthal's investment partner, Jason Grossfeld, will put in enough money to get them a few months of breathing room. Lilienthal and Grossfeld head to Hull, Massachusetts to talk to Sean Fanning, who's based out of his uncle's office in Hull. He's in the back, working on his laptop at a battered card table. Fast food containers litter the place. John Fanning's there, too, wearing black Reeboks and pink Bermuda shorts. He sees himself as a business mastermind headed for the cover of Forbes or Fortune, and he isn't embarrassed to say so. Grossfeld thinks, this guy's just so damned impressed with himself. All I want to do is talk to the kid. A few minutes in, Lilienthal and Grossfeld exchange looks and wordlessly come up with a plan. Each takes a turn distracting John so that the other can talk seriously with Sean about his program without the uncle interfering. John shuffles through a stack of business cards on his desk, bragging to Grossfeld about his connections. Yeah, I've got lots of contacts we can go to for money. I bet you've heard of this guy. John hands Grossfeld the business card of Ben Rosen, a powerful venture capitalist who initially funded Compact Computer. Grossfeld smiles appreciatively. Oh yeah, John. Ben Rosen? It'd be great to get him. But Grossfeld is thinking, if Ben Rosen knows this putz, I'll eat my hat. From Sean, they get what they need. A sense that he is a serious programmer with vision. Someone who can execute his own ideas. Not long after, Parker and Lilienthal pitched Northern Virginia venture firm Draper Atlantic. Draper is tempted, especially if Lilienthal signs on. They agree to meet everyone involved in the Napster team in New York. One blistering hot mid-July day, Parker and Lilienthal come up from Virginia. Sean Fanning and his Uncle John drive down from Massachusetts in a convertible and get to New York hours late. Sean is excited beyond words. Everything seems to be coming together at the 11th hour just as the system is maxing out. His dream and hard work, his business-minded uncle and his friend Parker, a real ex-CEO, an angel investor, and a real venture capital firm, just in time to save it all. Sean and his uncle John walk into Brady's Tavern near the World Trade Center. Everyone's a beer or two in after waiting so long. Parker and the potential investors look up and... Once the introductions and small talk is done, everyone gets down to business. Sean and Parker expect a deep dive into the technology, their backgrounds, and the legal issues. 
but one of Draper's partners stuns everyone by pulling out a piece of paper with bullet points, slaps it on the table, and looks directly at the Napster crew. We believe this will develop into something big, so we're ready to get involved. We'll put in $500,000, and that's for well under half the company. Sean and Parker are speechless, but John responds immediately. That's not enough. Our user base is growing so fast, we're going to be bigger than the labels. Lilienthal can't believe it. Napster is desperate for money, and here it is, along with an entree to big names in the valley, and John will still have effective control. But the first thing he does is to try and squeeze the investor for more. It's insane. But Lilienthal keeps his cool and pulls John aside. John, this is the friendliest term sheet that I've seen in two years. John reconsiders. All right, I'll think about it. I've got a bias for action. They return to the table. A handshake deal calls for Lilienthal to sign on as CEO after he and Draper do their own due diligence. When they do look into it, though, John's track record comes out, and the copyright lawyers say the legal cause is hopeless. Napster may not be profiting directly from piracy, but that's only because it isn't charging anything. Napster's reason for being, it appears, is to help people steal music. Lilienthal believes he can deal with this issue, or maybe deal with John, but not both, not at the same time, no way. So Lilienthal goes back to John. Listen, John, the labels will spend big money to fight this. Now I'm willing to take them on and fight the legal risk on one condition. All right, let's hear it. You have to give up control. John refuses. They negotiate for weeks. Lilienthal offers more and more, eventually more than $1 million, for John to cut his stake to a third. But John won't agree. Even more maddening, he seems to enjoy the negotiating, making others squirm. Lilienthal even tries to go around him and get Sean to break free. But he won't do it. John has been there for Sean the whole time. There's the Mac John gave him, the car, and the internship. John helped Sean when no one else could. Lilienthal gives up and goes on a surfing trip to Costa Rica. Draper Atlantic agrees only to provide Napster an emergency loan of $50,000 for the right to buy 10% of the company later. Nowhere near what they need. Finally, John reaches out to an old acquaintance. He has an uneven history, but is a beneficiary of the dot-com boom. His name is Yossi Amran, an Israeli immigrant with degrees from MIT and Harvard Business School. John tells Amran that a serious venture firm is doing its research and is likely to invest. So, Amran skips his own due diligence and agrees to put in $250,000. He has three conditions. He gets to name a new CEO and... He and the CEO will have two board seats to John's one so that they can outvote him. And finally, the company has to move to Northern California, where he can watch over it. When the venture capital fails to materialize, Amran is left as the main funder, with John still the majority shareholder. And without doing his own research, 
Amran literally has no idea what he has gotten himself into. If you're going to snack, the best case scenario is that it's delicious, filling, and healthy, right? Well, my favorite thing to munch on these days checks off all three of those boxes. Lantana hummus. Lantana is bringing thoughtful and bold flavor combinations to the hummus category. Truly unique flavors like black bean, edamame, sriracha carrot, and beet and cucumber. It's made with other beans and vegetables, not chickpeas. And every flavor is delicious while packing enough protein and fiber to keep you satisfied. I really haven't ever tasted anything quite like these flavors. Truly, they've become a real staple at our house. Lantana hummus is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and kosher. There's truly something for everyone in Lantana's colorful and delicious variety of flavors. And I couldn't be prouder that this is a brand right out of Austin, my hometown. Discover Lantana hummus and Brighton every day. Go to lantanafoods.com to use their product locator to find Lantana hummus at a grocery store near you. That's L-A-N-T-A-N-A. Just look for the hummus with the stripe lids in the deli section. Because John Fanning's background scared off more seasoned investors, it's not shocking that the angel investor and chairman he winds up with is not the answer to all of Napster's problems. In fact, Yossi Amran adds more of his own. Amran worked in software in California before moving back to the Boston area. In 1989, he founded a company called Individual Inc. In those pre-web days, customers would sign up for topics they were interested in. Then individual called news from various sources and sent it on to the customer as a sort of personalized newspaper. Amran ended up clashing with his board when he wanted to buy several companies in quick succession, and the board refused. Amran was forced to take a leave, which was bad enough. And then things got downright strange. During negotiations over his return, Amram didn't feel like that fight required his full attention. So he brought in a friend he'd made playing chess in Harvard Square, and that would be one John Fanning. Amram would talk to the individual incorporated directors for a while and then walk out and play a move or two with John as if they were simultaneous matches. The talks failed. Individual fired Amram, and he got physical when trying to take personal items home, requiring a police escort to leave. And now, well, now Amram is the guy who is supposed to be a steadying influence on Napster. Instead, he brings in Bill Bales as Napster's vice president of business development. Bales, too, was fired by Individual, as well as a company he had co-founded. And that's not all. He's got a history of multiple arrests and a restraining order to stop stalking an ex-girlfriend. Job one for Amram and Bales is recruiting a CEO, and fast. As it happens, a friend of theirs from Boston, venture capitalist Eileen Richardson, has recently moved to the area and told Amram that she's looking for an executive role. He tells her about Napster, and she downloads the program that very night. She searches, quickly finds a few songs, and gasps. This is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. In some ways, Richardson and the fledgling company are perfect for each other. 
She is a single mother who loves music, and her days of hitting smoky clubs in search of the new thing are over. Richardson's casual demeanor makes her a natural den mother for the teenagers, but she has little management experience and takes Amram's word for it that the two of them can handle the copyright problems and John. She buys some of John's stock and signs up to run the place. In early September 1999, this is a month before the rave event they co-sponsor, Sean and Parker fly to San Francisco. The first two days on the job, they work on setting up computers that can handle Napster's growing load. They run into a friendly woman a few times who they take to be an executive assistant. She tells them, I hear you guys are great. They smile and shuffle, politely shake her hand and then scurry off. Then they hear someone call out, Oh, Eileen! They've been told that that's the name of their new CEO. They whip their heads around to see who answers. And yes, it's the woman they thought was an assistant. Whoops. That's going in the movie, Parker says. Already convinced Napster will be a huge storm. By early October 1999, Napster has 150,000 registered users, their ranks swollen by college kids returning after summer to campus. Many universities have massive bandwidth that is free for students, and the kids go crazy downloading everything on Napster that they can think of, anything from Christina Aguilera to Sugar Ray. Check this out. Look, I can download any song I want. And there's so many to choose from, too. I can't believe this is all free. Yeah, this kid in the candy store reaction is generating just the kind of growth they can count on. To help manage the technology, Richardson hires Jordan Ritter and Ali Idar, two of Sean's engineer friends from Boston. Having moved on from Chess.net, Idar is working at a struggling startup a mile away from Napster. When John Fanning calls him to tell him Napster got funding and that he should get in on it, Idar doesn't believe him. After all, Idar is the one who insisted on examining Chess.net's books and found John had engaged in all sorts of questionable transactions. He calls up Sean, who assures him it's true. They're getting funding. Sean invites Idar to join him and Parker for dinner. Quick-thinking Parker who is a natural salesman, blows Idar away. But he's selling the dream, not the reality. Look, the labels are going to want to deal with us. They don't know anything about their own customers. They just know what sells, not to whom or why. But we do know that. We can see that the same Napster users who are looking for ACDC songs are about to go looking for an Aerosmith song. So now the labels, if they had that, can advertise to our ACDC fans about the new Aerosmith album. Parker pauses while Idar takes it all in. He has his head in his hands. Oh my God, I get it. Wait, wait, it gets better. It's not just advertising. We can communicate with those people. We have their emails. We can just send them a message when a new album comes out. And we already know what they're interested in because we can see their collection every time they connect. Parker leans back, smiling. Idar is stunned. Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Idar actually lies down in the booth, 
and stares at the restaurant's ceiling as he tries to absorb it all. I will do anything to be a part of this. But later, Idar remembers what it was like working for John Fanning. He drives to meet Richardson. They sit on a bench outside the Napster office. He's got one big question. Are you sure you can handle him? I'm sure. Everyone at Napster lets their doubts about John, the labels, and copyrights float away in a giant rainbow-colored bubble of optimism. The dot-com boom is in full flower. Young engineers can work anywhere in the valley. But word is out now about Napster. And many are pounding on Napster's door. Four or five people a day offer to work for no pay. Job one at Napster right now is to raise money to keep the company's forward momentum. Fortunately, the valley is now full of people desperate to invest in anything that ends in dot-com. Angel investors are giving startups obscene sums in exchange for equity. Amram emails Ron Conway, a kind of archangel investor in California. Amram writes... Napster, with its proprietary music share technology, is pioneering a new way for music listeners to reliably find, share, and download digital music over the Internet. Recently, MP3 replaced sex as the most searched-for term on the Internet. The email proves irresistible. Richardson meets Conway's partner and gives a 45-minute presentation. The partner can't write a check fast enough. Conway's team will eventually put in $1.5 million. Now, Napster has technology, users, an eager workforce, and investors. What it doesn't have? A public relations person, a lawyer, or a business plan for its survival. One that doesn't include striking a deal with the labels. Sean, who has listened to his uncle's bravado for more than a year doesn't think Napster is going to get sued. Parker knows it will be, but to him, the lawsuit is all part of the plan. Surely the labels will see the wisdom in combining forces. Surely. On the next episode of Business Wars, as Napster's weaknesses are laid bare to some powerful record industry executives, they see an opportunity to bare their teeth and go straight for the upstart's jugular. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a link on the episode notes. All you have to do is tap or swipe over the cover art. And you'll also see some offers from our sponsors. We hope you can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Another way to support us is to answer a short survey at wondery.com survey. And if there's a business war story you'd like to hear, don't hesitate to tell us. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Joseph Men is the author of All the Ray, The Rise and Fall of Sean Fanning's Napster. He wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Jenny Lauer is our producer. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie. 
created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering.